Pastor Matt, thank you for the introduction and just, you know, welcoming not only myself but our team. I believe a couple of our staff members came and shared God's word with you, and, and so we're so glad that we can do this. Just, you know, just, uh, again, I just met Pastor Matt, but, you know, I, I see his heart, and I feel a kindred spirit. You know, I found out he's also from Long Island, too, and, you know, that's where I live. So it's interesting how God puts all, st- uh, all this together. Uh, an interesting story about our church at City Church, uh, we planted maybe about four years ago, close, coming up four years in September, but the idea of that church actually uh, was in Philadelphia. I was here about maybe 10, 15 years ago up in the Lansdale area. I lived in, um, uh, I forgot where I lived, <laughs> where was I? <laughs> North Wells. <laughs> and driving, you know, on the turnpike and coming to the city, you know, driving through Schuylkill County and, well, you see, I've got all those names, but all those places and City Line and just brought fond memories of this place. So it's almost like, you know, a kindred place, a place that I remember and a lot of good memories that God was pouring into me as I was just coming here. And yeah, so, um, yeah, you know, we wanted to uh, plant uh, Ed City Church out in King of Prussia because uh, Ed City is a, uh, a sociological technical term and that's a whole different story in itself. But uh, in God's sovereignty and providence, he says, not now, not here yet. And so he moved us to uh, New York. My wife's from New York, Long Island, and so the Lord's been doing this. So about 10 years, we've been working on that vision. And finally, we're able to plant it out uh, a few years ago, and, and God is doing extraordinary things. So anyway, that's the you know, short end of, of, of this. But, but with that, you know, I just want to come and uh, as fellow uh, minister and, and Christian and brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm, I'm going to share God's word with you. The title of this message is The Voice of God, and we read, Pastor read uh, Psalm 29. And what's interesting about Psalm 29 was that, you know, it, I wasn't looking for this passage. I was looking, you know, I, was, I worked on this a couple of weeks ago, but in a strange way, God found me, and, and, and I couldn't get away from that because a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a lot of buzz, and if you guys are on social media, man, everything is breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. <laughs> so I randomly chose one of the breaking news, and there was breaking news. Did you know that uh, NASA, a couple weeks ago, right, you, some of you, uh, I'm, I appreciate that whole chemistry lesson, because we're going to go into school right now. <laughs> if you like astronomy or, or uh, aeronautical engineering or astrophysics, if you have that kind of uh, bent, you know what I'm talking about. James Webb Telescope was sent out uh, in Christmas time of uh, last year, and, 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 and the goal is to uh, look at the universe, bring back images, so that the scientists could explore how we came to being. Now, they don't read the Bible, so they don't know this, but they wanted scientific evidence to show how the cosmos, the Big Bang, and all this kind of stuff came into play. You guys know anything about this? <laughs> now, what's interesting is, now, I don't really care about the science because I don't understand any of it anyway. But the community, the aeronautical community, the, the, the really smart people who do this kind of stuff. By the way, it took $10 billion to make this telescope. It's, it's just a telescope. And it took 25 years in the making. They launched it. And finally, the uh, uh, images came back. You know, we have the Hubble telescope. And, but, but basically, James Webb telescope is HD. <laughs> so... Huge difference. Anyway, if you look at those images, it's quite fascinating. But what I was interested in, the fact that the community, you know what they were doing? 
even though they may or they may not know God, but they were giving worship to something. They were, they were having a revival, although they didn't know they were having a revival. They were going nuts. You know, the implications of the data, they, they only see data, but others see beauty and it's like, what does this mean? And they're just going crazy and they're still going crazy because of the information and the, just the vet, expanse universe, seeing how planets form and how they dissolve and the implications of all that. Anyway, having said all that, the Lord led me to Psalm 29 and let me just read verses 1 and 2 again. The psalmist says, and King David says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And He's calling us to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And it goes on and on. Um, and, and, and the interesting thing about this psalm in particular, the more I studied it, is it's a very unique psalm. It's unique because, you know, like other psalms, it does worship God. It causes us to, you know, praise God. And a lot of psalms do that. But what's interesting about this particular psalm is that this particular psalm is exclusively about praising God and giving Him glory and worship. Whereas other psalms have other uh, goal, maybe we need to do something. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to take stock in our lives. You know, a lot of us are suffering. Maybe it's, it's to, to ruminate on, on, on why suffering is there. So there's a lot of different uh, 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 motives of why these psalms are written. But this one is unique because it just says one thing, worship God. And the title of this message is called The Voice of God. So it's basically saying the voice of God is resounding. Listen to him, right? And it's just worshiping God who he is is pure praise and 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 it just kind of came together for me listening to this psalm and 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 seeing what's going on especially about the the web telescope and i just saw the word glory just just come out and like wow the whole at least some parts of the community they're 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 glorifying god even though they don't know him and and we ought to glorify god and it's like I, I understood what they're doing because that's what Christians, we who know God, are commanded to do all the time. Now, the word glory um, is really a neat word. I mean, it's a, quote, religious word, but it is a word that, that God has given us so that we can understand Him. You know, we sing it in our songs. It's expressed in our hymns everywhere because this word glory is an apt description when it comes to the things of God. So what is glory? Without going into the details, it's a Hebrew word, and it's translated, uh, well, literally it's kavod, but, it, but the, the sense of the word glory uh, has weightiness. It is heavy, all right? And so that's the sense. So when the psalmist and the Bible calls us to glorify God, there's a sense of this heaviness. So what, how do you put that together? You know, uh, someone mentioned about, you know, we had, uh, are we still in the heat wave? <laughs> still hot out there, right? <laughs> kind of cooled down a little bit. But, you know, we've been having heat waves. New York is, I think, worse than Philadelphia. It was just disgusting, right? And, of course, when it's hot, you think about the pool. And so, and so some of you probably enjoy that. And, 
And, and, and, and, and this image always comes to mind when I think of glory. So I want to share this with you. Glory has a sense of the, like, like uh, you know, there are, there's always some, some kid or somebody who wants to, you know, have fun, and they go to the edge of the pool. And, and so in order for this analogy to stick, I'm going to use uh, the analogy of your pastor, Matt, okay, even though I don't know him. So imagine your pastor just come and he decides to do a belly flop, goes up and belly flops into the pool. And you're thinking, why would, why, why do you do that? It must have hurt. It probably would hurt. But that imagery is a very uh, important imagery of understanding what glory is in the way the scripture wants to teach us. Because the pool, before it was maybe just still, and then you have Pastor Matt jumping in, disturbed the calmness of the water. The water has just now been invaded by an object in the person of a pastor. <laughs> he has invaded the water space, and, 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 uh, and it felt the weightiness of him in the pool. That analogy is what the sense of glory is about, because when it is applied to God... He says, give glory to God, right? The glory of God. What is that? That means God. We know he doesn't have a body. John 4 tells us he got his spirit. You know, he brought his son into the world, and he has a body. But our father does not. But God is spirit. But guess what? He is weighty. He has substance. He has character in his being, presence, in his splendor, all the the, the, the flowery and philosophical language that we attribute to God is not just fluff, it is weightiness. It is heavy. It is dense. And when that glory invades your life, with or without your permission, just like he belly flops into your soul, he could even happen now, I don't know. He, he'll come belly flops in you, that's, you just experience glory. Does that, you get that? That's what the meaning of glory is. And let me tell you something. His glory is abound, is everywhere. And if you just kind of notice, you know, the astronomers and those astrophysicists, they, they were sensing glory, but they had no language to it. But you and I do. So if you kind of are cognizant of that, Man, you're going to see glory all around. It happens all the time. In our church, you know, we're having baby boom. And I thank God for that. Little cute, little tiny babies coming out. And these first parents, you know, first-time parents, they're just going goo goo gaga. They're experiencing glory. Those of you who are parents and grandparents, you get it, right? I have a 16-year-old daughter. And then um, my wife doesn't want to have any more kids. So, you know, she's too young. <laughs> but yeah, I can't wait to experience that glory again. <laughs> I mean, it's all around us, guys, right? Now, why are these moments of glory so important? Because uh, as we look at, uh, continue this, the Psalms, these moments, for those of you who know Jesus and, and, and you know, who want to know God, you've got to have these glorious moments when God invades you because these moments are an apologetic to your soul. In other words, the word apologetics is, you know, we're trying to prove to someone that God exists. Well, in this moment... Forget about those who don't know God. God is concerned about you. The reason why you need to experience glory of God over and over again, not just on Sundays, but uh, between Sundays, in the monotony of your life and in the suffering of your life, in whatever condition and stage of life that you're in, if you are experiencing the glory of God, it tells your soul, oh my goodness, this Bible is alive, <laughs> that God 
that I'm learning about in Sunday school that I fell asleep in. Oops, sorry. He is real. <laughs> like, this God has literally invaded my mind, invaded my heart. And, uh, oh gosh, if you get that, man, then, then, then you don't have to doubt when things don't come your way. You don't have to leave the church when God is not working for you, right? Furthermore, uh, the, the, the glory of moments is, are important because it displays the word of God. Even though he's not speaking anything, he's not saying anything, you don't hear him audibly, those glorious moments uh, are the word of God. In other words, the voice of God, who he is, that, who, his character, his weightiness, all that is speaking to you in some way. Again, furthering the apologetics to your soul that this God that you hear about does really exist. So when I look at King David as he is penning the psalm, um, what's fascinating is in the context in which he is writing the psalm. So as we continue in verses 3 to 9, you see the voice of the Lord over and over again. There are various couplets throughout these uh, verses really emphasizing the same thing. But what is King David doing? Now, on this particular occasion, what was happening is King David was experiencing a passing thunderstorm, and it shook him to the core. And after it was over, he meditated upon it, and we have these uh, inspired words for us. So what what was happening? Let me tell you something about uh, thunderstorms in the ancient Near East, Palestine. Now, storms and rain was not often. It only came, came certain times in the spring, certain times in the fall. And it would usually move from west to east, so there's Mediterranean Sea, it gathers up the moisture, gets the thunderclouds, and kind of moves. Now I'm a forecaster right now. It's going to the east. <laughs> you got to be deluged, all right? And when it comes, though, it comes fiercely. And if you look at what uh, uh, David says here, the, you know, the, the power of the storm going through uh, the the, the the, um, the cedars, the Lebanon, which are the woods, it, it just it demolishes it. And we've seen some of that. Maybe in the south, the hurricanes coming through. and I mean, it, it is really powerful. And, and this is what's going through Palestine at this point. It is so, it, the storm causes such fury sometimes that even deer just, just calve before its time. It just, just, it just shows that God's presence, his weightiness, if you will, as it's going through, even though animals are felt by God's presence. And, and going through verses 3 through 9, I'm not going to go into detail, but as it's going through, it, King David says, this is the voice of the Lord coming through this storm. Even though he describes a violent storm, he's basically saying, He's describing the greatness of God, the glory of God, the, the, the heaviness, the weightiness of who he is, the God of the universe, creating us, and he's causing the storm to pass, and he is worshiping God, and he found God in that storm. And these are the voices of God screaming through Palestine that God is glorious. And that's the, really the premise of Psalm 29. Again, at this point, there's nothing about what you should do, whatever. It's just still worshiping God, praising God, in a sense, uh, interpreting what just happened and seeing the glory of God. That's all the psalm is doing. 
Now, so you think about that next time you have a thunderstorm coming up. I don't know when it's going to come. <laughs> you know, this story reminds me when my little girl was uh, maybe first or second grade, um, you know, uh, yeah, so we, we tucked her into bed just like our regular routine. And of course, uh, it was raining that night and started thunderstorming. And she gets up, she's crying, and so daddy comes in, and, and I'm talking to her and say, honey, you don't have to worry because God made the world, he made the rain, and all the thunderstorms just telling you that he exists. And then she's like, you know, daddy, uh, does that God really exist? Of course. And then so she said, daddy, can I um, ask God to make it thunder three times? I said, hmm. <laughs> sure you know like yeah god could do anything so as we're talking and i'm just trying to convince her that god exists guess what happens boom boom and i'm like one more please (laughs) boom it happened three times not four not two three and this little girl i you know we're not a charismatic church but she got up, she put her hands up, said, Lord, you are a great God. <laughs> you are amazing. I worship you. I'm like, where'd you come from? <laughs> oh, my God, what a, uh, that memory will always be. <laughs> it's like, wow, when God comes through, even little babes know how to worship God. It's like, wow, um, I heard the voice of God, and obviously my little girl heard it too. And I think this is the essence of what uh, King David is trying to say, that verse 9, you know, just like temple and whatever's happening all around, if you feel the glory of God invading your space, we're, we're, we're called to cry out glory, kind of giving it back to him, affirm what he, is, what he is doing and what he has done to us, and we just scream that back out to him. That is the relationship. That's what King David is trying to say. Now, that's the first part of the message, all right? Do I have enough time? Okay, I need a little bit more time. Someone brought up tomatoes, so I gotta make sure that I'm, I'm like this, okay? <laughs> so if I go over 35 minutes, uh, this is Grace Chapel, isn't it? Get it? Anyway, listen, all right, now it's gonna turn a little bit more because yes, this psalm is all about glorify God, praise Him, it's, a, it's nothing but pure praise. So we can go home with that and say, I get it. But this is where everything switches here because in light of what I just shared and what this inspired text has told us to do, and despite uh, the many fold of his glory that is all around, not only in space, but boy, in your room, in your home, in this church, anywhere that you go, everywhere that you are, and if God's glory is all around us, my question is, then why are people who are, who are Christians so bored with God? This may not reflect you, but it certainly reflects the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. And many people are emptying churches. Long Island, where I'm from, I see that all the time. Why are people who grew up in the church who've been baptized, who hear this amazing things about God, and yet they check out. I, I, you know, I get it, but at the same time, I don't get it, you know? So I've concluded that it has to be one or two answers. One, and I'll just propose this to you, 
If that is happening, and people are walking away, and maybe some of you are like, yeah, I'm kind of almost done with this church too. I don't know, but it's happening all around. But listen to this. If that is the case, one, the first potential uh, answer to that is that then God is the problem. Did I just say that? Don't throw the tomatoes yet, because I don't agree. But, but if you think about it logically, if you're bored with God and he's not all that, God, maybe God is the problem because he has sold you a you know, bill of goods that, that is just not working in your life. Hmm? Maybe he is not that awesome. Hmm? Maybe he's not that interesting. And so that's why you know, there's no need to give him glory. Or, now because I know I, don't, I, I dismissed that premise, the second, pro, the second answer has to be this, and this is what I believe. Since God is not the problem, it must be us. It must be us who are uh, short-sighted. We have short attention span, as you know. That's why we have to make it 35 minutes, Because right? <laughs> I can go for an hour, man. <laughs> you know how hard it was to edit this stuff <laughs> for you. You know, we have short attention span. As a result, because, you know, we're looking for other things, you miss Throughout the week, between Sundays, you miss the glory of God. Potential glories all around you, you know? And so that's why um, when you see things that is uh, interesting, you call it a coincidence. If you see the web telescope, the images, you're like, I saw that on Dr. Strange Universe, Marvel Universe, right? It's like, yeah, okay. You have another baby, okay. Ten fingers, ten toes, we're good. <laughs> no more glory anymore. We, we get used to this kind of stuff. And that's why I think the heart of really what uh, the psalmist, King David, is saying is, even though he doesn't tell us what to do, I see that implication. And let me, let me think about King David a little bit more. Why did he write this psalm, right? And again, the answer is so he can meditate upon what just happened. He experienced the glory of God as the thunderstorm passed. But, but listen to this. What if David uh, wrote this psalm when he wasn't king? And I think uh, studying this, commentators uh, do agree that he wrote this in the latter stages of his life. But listen to this. If he, remember the time before he became anointed, you know, Samuel, prophet, came to the house, and he said, Mr. Jesse, where are your sons? And long story, there's David. And secretly, he anoints David. And here's this teenager, David, realizing he's going to be the king of Israel. He just got not just physically anointed by God, but he got the glory of God on him. That's when the Holy Spirit rested on him. It will make total sense why he would write Psalm 29. Does that make sense? It's just like my kid who just saw God. Glory to God. Ascribe, everybody. Ascribe to him the glory due his name, his strength and mighty, etc. Right? Of course that makes sense. What if, what if he, uh, at that time, he defeated Goliath, what, which was an improbable battle? A little kid, a big, giant, ugly guy, cuts his head off, right? Like, how does that happen? Of course he would, be, again, give glory to God after an amazing spiritual event. But it doesn't happen there. Anybody can give glory to God when good things happen, right? Right. 
When the songs are great, oh, it's so easy to glory. <laughs> but when you're out of tune, you know, hands go down. <laughs> I don't know. But this is how we're made. But um, he wrote this. You know the stories of Dave, King David, up and down. He, he did a lot of great things. He did a lot of horrible things. His sons are trying to kill him, right? I mean, it's not a good place towards the end of his life. And yet he pens this. And, and, and Charles Haddon, he, he also likens this to the other Psalms, like Psalm 8, when, when David was meditating on a clear moon. Like, nothing was happening in his life. He's just looking out. The moon was really beautiful. Stars were out. And he wrote Psalm 8. Another occasion, Charles Haddon notes that, that on a sunny morning, you know, when the, when the sun is breaking, you know, just coming up of the horizon, and the beauty and the glory of the sunrise is just everywhere, he wrote Psalm 19. And again, here we, we have Psalm 29 after thunderstorm. You see, King David wrote this not when he was a young Christian. Here's my point. He wrote this as life happened in him. He wrote this maybe after years and years of knowing God up and down in his spiritual life, right? And so this is, this is the point. To give glory to God is so easy when, when you're new to the faith. But boy, I don't know how long you've been a Christian. Some of you have been in this church for a long time. Some of you have been a Christian for a long time. Where, can you give glory to God? Can you hear the voice of God in the way King David is, is just doing right now? And he's not a young Christian. He is a seasoned, perhaps an old guy like me. <laughs> and he's still giving this glory to God as if he knew him for the very first time. Let me tell you something. God is glory. That's why in verse 10 and uh, 11, and he, he just ends, God is on the throne so pick up your phone. Did you hear that? Anyway. Um, <laughs> he's enthroned forever. I mean, he's just like going all out for God. It's like, this is him. And that's it. That's how he ends the psalm. Let me tell you something. God's glory is all around us. More than you could ever imagine if you just open your spiritual eyes and, and, and look for him. He will come to you. So Grace Chapel... I don't know the situation, but, you know, you're part of the church in the West, just like ours are, and just like the churches of Jesus Christ. And as a whole, just as a whole, we're not doing so well, okay? I'm just being honest. We're all struggling here. Now, um, a couple, um, I just came back from vacation. Um, uh, my homeland is Korea. I took my kids. It's the first time they've seen their motherland, it was, it was beautiful. Um, got to eat a lot of good food and, and all that. And by the time, when I was there, I had a chance to visit churches. And if you know anything about Korean churches, you know, they have a lot of churches, right? You know that. <laughs> the people of prayer and all these wonderful things. So I was so excited to visit um, some of the churches because actually it's the first time I've been there too. So it was a, that's a whole different story. Um, and, but I didn't go to a Korean church because my Korean is, is really bad. So there, there are also, but there are a lot of English-speaking churches in Korea. And so I intentionally found some of these places, and a lot of expats from U.S. and other countries are there. And, and, and I tell you, if we somehow were transplanted now magically to Korea and, 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 and have worship service, you, would not, you could not tell the difference 
Because the worship songs, they probably sang Keith Green too today, I don't know. They, the, the, the words, the, the uh, preaching, the, it was so Western. I felt I was at home. I mean, like, oh, am I in, you know, I'm in a different country? I mean, everything was there. So it was, it was delightful, and the sermons were great. And so the more I observed, I mean, gosh, they had uh, the people there and everything. And, 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 but what's interesting is, you know, they don't know me, so I can just evaluate. And I've been pondering this for a little bit. Even though the, the amazing history of God's glory falling over that small country and the revival that had happened uh, in the early 20th century, and it just really literally changed that country. And yet, now this is a new generation. And, and I just felt, and a lot of people were young people, all right? And uh, I'm not sure if they were natives of Korea. I'm sure some were, but there were certainly a lot of uh, Christians all around the world there. But then something was just bothering me. Now, I wouldn't say that if it was just one church, but I went to three churches, three separate churches, and I felt the same thing too. And this was my analysis, and it's just my opinion. It's It's not a PhD dissertation. I can't prove this. But what I know is that although they had all the forms of spirituality, beautiful buildings, they had uh, people, they had kids, families, they had uh, great guitar, and you know, they had good, they had all the aspects of what a solid church should be. Teaching was solid, but, but something was missing. Something was missing. Um, Maybe, I'm sure the Spirit of God is there because that's what the Bible says, where the two or three are gathered, he's in there. I know that. But I, but I wonder, was he moving in my heart? Yes or no? And I'm looking around. You know how people were worshiping? I don't have my phone, and it should be that way. This is how they were worshiping. <laughs> Not just one church, man. It was the other two churches too because they don't know I'm a pastor, so that's fine. Not only that, you know, they, they don't know me. I just travel halfway around the world. No one said anything to me. Like, yeah, you know, I look like you, but I'm a stranger. <laughs> I don't even speak the language. I just love your food, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's like, and then what happened was I started thinking about my church. Like, this could totally be a city church. This could, this totally, this church could totally be any church in the West. And I, I was grieving. I was grieving because um, perhaps the Spirit of God wasn't there. I don't know. Maybe the people were, here it is, uh, too acquainted with God. Maybe, maybe they were just, this is what they usually do. Maybe they're, if I will say, maybe they could be bored with God. I don't know. But something was missing. I mean, I'm sure they're amazing people. I'm sure the pastor's great. I'm sure everybody's great. But as a whole, I felt something was missing. So I couldn't help wonder about the Church of Jesus Christ in the West. And then, and I thought about this, and now this applies to all of us here. Take a spiritual diagnostic test right now. It won't take long, but it's just between you and God. And the diagnostic test is this. Take a quick snapshot of your spiritual walk with Jesus right now. Bible reading, scale from 1 to 10. How's your prayer life, 1 to 10? How is your uh, community with fellow brothers and sisters getting together, 
having community with them, one to ten? How about serving the church, serve, serving not only the local body, but the community, one to ten? And these are just diagnostics. There's so many, but I'm just kind of laying it out there. Since I'm the visiting pastor, are you giving? <laughs> one to ten. <laughs> Is it if it's 11? That's good. Do you know what I mean? All those measures are important to see where you are right now in your walk with the Lord. If we're, not, if we're low on that scale, um, I wonder, uh, th- this is, to me, uh, King David's not saying this, but as I'm seeing the implication of Psalm 29, it really affects us today. Because if you're not doing any of that, or very low on that scale, below not even five, if it's, if it's anyway, you can talk about the measure. Whatever your skill is, whatever low is, the danger to that is that you won't be able to hear the voice of God. Okay? If you don't hear the voice of God, even if he came before you as an angel of light, you wouldn't see him because you, you can't know him. You don't know what he, he hears. You, know, you don't know how he hears or how you feel when he's in, in his presence. You won't get it. That's the danger of it. I want to read portions of Hebrews chapter 6. And he's talking to, uh, uh, the writer of the Hebrews talking to these people. He says, those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come. He's speaking to believers who are gathered in a place and who, who have had these experiences right? They, he had, you know, uh, maybe prophesied and seen great amazing things. In other words, experienced the glory of God in their lives, not only through conversion and baptism, but, but God changed them. That's what, we, that's what church is all about. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, keep seeking that voice of God in your world uh, as he is to be found. But however, let me put all this together. The people, the, the church, uh, in the time when the writer of the Hebrews was writing this, uh, the people's faith were kind of waning. They were drifting, okay? All these things were not happening in their lives. And if you find that in your diagnostic test right now that it's kind of low, you know, it's below five, it's kind of low, then the, uh, then the danger is this. And let me read the full text here. In chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, the writer of Hebrew begins with this, for it is impossible. That's a very strong word. I didn't even look at the Greek, but I'm sure it is a very strong word. It is impossible. In the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the ages to come. Now, we've experienced that, I hope. But I'm going to finish the thought. It is impossible, the writer of the Hebrew says, verse 6, and then have fallen away. Again, leaving the church. Like, God is not that awesome anymore. It is impossible to have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them, him to contempt. Scary verse, verses. I don't know how to elaborate this, so I'll leave that up to your pastor to figure that out. It's a tough passage. All I can say is that it's here, and it's speaking to the church of Jesus Christ. 
talking to Grace Chapel and all the churches here. Um, if, if, if the diagnostic is low, we will drift away. Now, I'm a, I happen to be a Calvinist. I don't know if that means anything. I believe that once you become a Christian, you're the elect. That cannot be taken away from you. I get it. But you can drift away. And the reason why this uh, verse is kind of scary and important because there are wolves among you who are sheep, who look like sheep, but they're not real sheep. And they play this game. Uh, uh, and, and if you are that, I'm calling you out. I don't know who you are, though, but I know it's here because it's in every church. So think about that. But those of you who are the elect, who are the real sheep, and you will know who you are, and yet you do score low on that diagnostic, what do you do? Are you scared? I'm, I get scared when I read this stuff, but I can't leave like this. But, but, but there, are, there are answers, and the answer is this. I think about Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Do you remember when it was one versus 400, one prophet of God versus 400 prophets of Baal, and he totally defeated them? And then after that amazing, glorious, you're talking about the glory of God coming, he, he came to Elijah, and everybody witnessed it. It was an amazing moment. And then uh, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, says, I'm, gonna, I'm threatening you. You humiliated me. You're dead, Elijah. And what did prophet Elijah do? He got depressed. He got scared. He ran. And he ran to a cave. And, um, and he, you know, he was afraid. And he was drifting. And then God sent thunderstorm. There's that thunderstorm. And it's like, surely God is in this place. King David saw it. No, he wasn't there. And God sent an earthquake. And he sent fire. God wasn't there either. And the conclusion of that particular passage is that, remember how he came? Yeah, just whisper. <laughs> if you're not looking for her, you can't hear him. <laughs> if, you're not, if you don't have a relationship with God, that whisper is going to be so low. Yeah, I can't even hear myself. <laughs> you won't be able to hear him. But thank God, Elijah, Ellie's new God. <laughs> Because he's the elect, and if you know of him, and even though you don't hear him now, that's fine, because if your heart is getting, getting uh, stirred up and say, man, I, I, need to, I need to work on this, you will hear him. And the best way to do it, and I'll just leave you with this, for dull, if you're dull of hearing, if your ears are dull, Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Isn't that nice? I love that verse. You probably know that by memory, and you need to because that's the antidote of hearing, of, of hearing, you know, from not hearing from him to hearing from him again. You've got to be still. You've got to have that quiet time, you know, just, just listening for him. And the praise team can come up, but let me just conclude with this. The reason why I know that this is uh, achievable, especially for the elect, because when Jesus Christ was on the cross, you have to understand, for the first time ever in his three and a half years of ministry, well, just the ministry, but in all of his life, his 33 years of here, first time ever in his life that the voice of God that he had come to know intimately it just left him on the cross. That's why he cried out on the cross. Why did you forsake me, God? Because he wasn't hearing his father's voice anymore. 
And Jesus, in a sense, was forced, sent by son, but ultimately he willingly submitted uh, and subjected himself to the point that he couldn't hear God anymore. Now, why did the father and the son do that? Because you and I, as he redeems us, he realizes that we're not going to be faithful and that we're going to shut our ears to him. See, Jesus only wanted to hear God, but he says, I am going to, Father's going to shut his ears because that's how we are. He identified with us. All of us shut our ears. All of us are dull to the senses of God. And so we go on our own way. But, but if that is the case, we would all be destined to hell. All Hebrews 6, it would be impossible for all of us to even repent again. But thanks be to God, Jesus took that upon the on himself and said, Father, even though I will continue to be dull and drift away, may I not die, may you not die, and I will die on, he said he'll die on our behalf so that you can start hearing from God again. He lost his hearing so that you can hear again. Isn't that wonderful? That's gospel. That's why I know he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And if you are at the negative end of that diagnostics test, you still have hope. Today, be still before God. Hear Him, because Christ has provided all that for us. That's the glory of God. May He belly flop into your life right now. Right now, whatever scale that you're May He do that, and you get Him. You'll be changed forever. Let me just pray. Father... You are an amazing God. Even this simple psalm uh, declares your glory because you are that. And we as your people, God, we get it. And yet we drift away. And, and to be honest, sometimes we fall away at times. We do things that are unbecoming. And Lord, without your grace and mercy, there's no way to get back to you. But you have provided that way through the cross. So we thank you, Jesus, for having amazing mercy grace and loving and kindness on us we don't deserve any of that and yet you gave it to us you keep giving it to us help us to repent rightly help us to submit ourselves to you may we may we hear your voice and i will pray that the people of god here will continue to hear you in jesus name we pray